Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Thank you, Brother Robert. Thank you, praise team and choir and musicians. Uh, What a great morning and great opportunity to worship the Lord. And thank you, dear people, for leading us in that worship time. And uh, I'm thrilled to be with you again. I was telling Robert earlier, I don't know how Dustin even got my name uh, several years ago, it feels like now. And uh, um, I met him one time in passing real quick. But we have uh, spent, I guess you could say, hours on the telephone over the years and uh, have gotten to know and love a guy that I never really got to spend a lot of time with, physically in that sense, and uh, appreciate him and so grateful that he would let me come and be with you guys. Uh, Thankful for the opportunity now. You know, change is inevitable, is it not? I mean, if you live long enough, change is coming into your life. I mean, just kind of hang on. Uh, It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. In fact, in in talking to Phil and Robert, I told both of them they ought to get together and and write a book on how to navigate the changes of pastors because both of them have been through it a whole lot, and many of you have as well as I have. And so change is unfortunately or fortunately a part of life. In fact, I remember several years ago, I went through a period of time in my life where it just seemed that change was coming in rapid order. And and there was a time that I would panic over that change. And it's got, you know, what am I going to do? You know, and, and I know people, if they have just the least bit of change in their life, it just throws them completely off course. I mean, it just, it blows their mind. And in fact, there's never been anyone like that in the church. But I, I know outside of the church, there have been control freaks who just wanted to do everything they could to keep things exactly the way they are because, because comfort is knowing what to expect. And when change comes, we don't always know what to expect. And as I grew in my faith walk with the Lord, I came to the realization that change introduces opportunity. That change causes us to begin to anticipate what God is going to do next. And as I grew in my faith walk, as I, as I understood what, I, what it meant to walk in faith, to walk in Christ, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, I recognize if we believe the word of God, and in Psalm 139, it says that God knew us. Do you understand this? God knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. And all of the days of our life were written in his book before the first day was lived. 
And so you need to know something that God knew before the foundations of the earth that Brother Dustin was going to be moving back to Tennessee. And God doesn't sweat that because God knew before the foundation of the earth what his next provision is for East Haven Baptist Church. And so for me, that's a time of excitement. It's a time of, of anticipation. Because that means that God is, in, is at work and that God is doing something. And my own life experience, if I were to sit and give my testimony of the things that God has done, I absolutely marvel at him because it has gotten better and better every step of the way. As wonderful as Brother Dustin was as a pastor, what God has in store for you will be even better. Not necessarily a better man, a better preacher, but just better because it represents your tomorrow. And God is faithful. Amen? Do you believe that? I hope you do. Because we, we must trust God. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But this concept of change, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Will you do that? You know, and I think about churches all the time. Now, you don't know me, and that's okay. Most of the people in the world don't know me. But I'm what they call now, they're always changing our title. I'm now an association mission strategist. And I do what I do in Columbia, Mississippi, in Marion, Lawrence and Walthall County. So I get up every day thinking about churches. And, uh, and that's one of the things, by the way, that you need to understand about your pastor and about the staff. They take this personally. You don't take it personally. Oh, you, you may be vested in it, and there may be things about it that are important, but when you walk out the door and go home, you're really thinking about, okay, what am, what am I going to do at work this week? What am I going to do at school this week? How am I going to, what am I going to do in the yard? But, but pastors and staff members have a tendency to eat, breathe, and sleep the local church. We're passionate about it. We care about it. But as we think about this whole transition time, I want, I want you to, to look at me at this text in 1 Timothy. Do you mind if I ask you to stand as we read the Word of God? Would you be so kind as to do that? And I hope that you bring a hard copy of the Word of God to church. If we believe this is the inerrant, infallible word of God, we must cherish it. But in verse 1 of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, the word of God says, now the Spirit, that is God the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared 
with a hot iron. And in so doing, it says they'll become somewhat legalistic, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then he reminds us that every creature is created by God and is not to be refused but useful. And then in verse 6, he says, if you instruct the brethren, as Paul wrote to Timothy, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And then he says, nourished in the words and doctrine or of and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. But then he says, but reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach, Paul was declaring, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And he says these things, command and teach. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, O God, that we have the great privilege uh, to possess it, to know, God, that in your word you are speaking into our lives, that you are communicating who you are and who you would have us to be. And God, that you choose through your word to teach us, instruct us, to prepare us, to equip us that we might live the Christian life in a world that is in rebellion against you. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to inhabit these moments. Holy God, we are dependent upon you. We look to you. We lean upon you. And we pray, God, that you would simply reveal yourself afresh in these moments. In Jesus' name I do pray, amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. So change, change is imperative. Your church is going through a change, a time of anticipation. And we live in a world that is changing at light speed. Uh, listen, my wife is not near as young as she was when I met her. And I have learned something that in watching her grow older, the world around her, and me, by the way, has changed dramatically. There are things that you and I see on the television screen that we read in magazines and papers that uh, we would have never dreamed in a million years. In fact, I was sitting on the couch yesterday morning, and I was, we don't have television television anymore, and a lot of people don't, and we have this movie stuff, and you know, and I saw, I saw a thing, and it was a, it was a, a 
Hopalong Cassidy episode. How many of you kids have ever heard of Hop? You have? Bless your heart. Hopalong Cassidy was popular when I was a child. I mean, when I was a, a, a little crumb crusher kind of child, okay? And, uh, and I'm watching this episode, and I'm kind of looking it up. Some guy named William Boyle or Boyd, I can't remember now, and who played Hopalong. And he looked funny because he had some kind of silver or something around the top of his boots. And, and we all, all of us kids had holsters and had holsters and had all kinds of de- decoration on that. He kind of, but anyway, at the end of the show, it shows him sitting in his cowboy uniform or outfit. And uh, he says, kids, and he's talking to the audience. It's no longer the television show. He says, kids, do you know how when you walk up to a railroad track, you stop and look and listen? He said, I want to encourage you because every time you walk up to a street, I need you to stop and to look and listen. And I'm kind of amazed that he's doing that But here's the thing that just blew me away. And then he said, and one more thing. Are you listening? And one more thing. Don't forget to go to Sunday school. And I thought, what? That was on national TV? And they let this guy say, and don't forget to go to Sunday school. And we live in a world that is denigrating God and is denigrating the body of Christ and is denigrating the church, is denigrating anything that is representative of holy God. The world is changing. And one of the things that just boggles my mind in all of its changing is that there are, and there are those that we know, maybe we've all known, who at one time or another gave the appearance of being in Christ. I mean, they gave the appearance, and they may have even been faithful church members for a period of time or, or went, on a, went, went on, a, on a mission trip or something like that. But then all of a sudden, you look up and they've disappeared. And you may see them somewhere along the way. And what they've done is they've gone back to an old way of life. And it was that kind of thing that Paul was addressing even in First Timothy. In fact, if you look, I'm, I'm just going to share four simple points with you. And I hope that they will encourage you and enrich your life, and it will result in your life being enriched. But the first point that I want to share with you is, listen, as this world changes and as people begin to fall away, don't be surprised. Because if we're not careful, we can let what other people do impact our faith. Look at verse 1 in that chapter of 4 of 1 Timothy. 
And Paul said to Timothy, he says, now the Spirit. He's talking about God the Holy Spirit. I would that any time we talk about the Spirit of God, that we recognize that it is God the Holy Spirit. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He is a person. He is, he is one of the triad of God. And he says, and the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now listen, we're Southern Baptists. And so you, can't, you don't need to have a problem with this verse. I, I don't hear it anymore, but when I was a little kid, you know, and people would, would speak against Southern Baptists because we believed in, quote, once saved, always saved. Well, we do. I want you to hold your finger right there because I want to help you see what Paul meant that some will depart from the faith. In fact, I just want you to go a little bit to your right. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and then you'll run into Philemon and Hebrews and 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Go to 1 John, okay? And I want you to look down there in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 18 and 19. I want you to see what the Word of God says, okay? John said in verse 18 of chapter 2 of 1 John, he said, little children, it is the last hour. That's what Paul was talking about. In those days, latter times, last hour, some will depart. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is not just a singular individual, but those that are representative of him, and they are liars and deceivers. John talks about that a great deal, even in the fourth chapter of this first John book. He says, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, coming. and even, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or that it might be revealed, is another way of saying that, that none of them were of us. All, All he's saying is, there's a lot of people. In fact, I remember one time witnessing to this guy. And uh, he was kind of a rough dude. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm just praying and, and trying to, to, you know, figure out a way. How can I share Jesus with him? How can I help him come to know the reality of salvation? And then finally in the middle of it, he stopped me and he said something like this. He said, listen, I gave Jesus a chance. And the door was shut. But the picture there is, there's a lot of people. There may be people here today. And what you're doing is giving Jesus a chance. Your your life is in a mess. You don't know which way to turn. And 
And the reality of it is, you're just kind of groping for straws, and you're hoping that this Jesus guy somehow can bail you out, that somehow he'll answer a need in your life, somehow he'll replace something that's not there. And, and you're just really not sure about him. I'm not saying that you've trusted him as your Savior and Lord, but you're just trying to give him a chance. And if things don't change real quick, then you might just bail on him. And what John was saying, listen, people who give a semblance of being in Christ and then can step away, We're not in Christ in the first place. And we've all known people like that if we think about it. And so he's he's saying to you and me, you need to know that in the latter times, this is going to happen. Our numbers may thin. I think they're going to thicken at the same time. Because as we get near that day, There are going to be multitudes who come to Christ. We are praying, holy God, grant revival. It seems that even after this last couple of years, that there are people coming back to church that haven't been there in a while. And I think it's because God's doing something in people's lives. And they recognize that the world has no hope and that Jesus has all hope. And that we're desperate for him. And so as we journey through these times, it's imperative that we who are in Christ, who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, we who know him as an intimate, intimate personal Savior, we can't, we can't be, we, don't be surprised. When people fall away. But what do you do in light of that? Because I have seen people that have had a family member or a close friend. And listen, I've seen this. I've been in ministry a long time. I've married several couples over the years. And I've watched sweet little ladies who thought that this guy loved them and cared for them. And boy, they'd come to premarital counseling. And those dudes will tell you anything you want to hear to get her hand in marriage. And then after the wedding, they disappear from the church. And sometimes something like that can happen And for somebody who's in Christ, it can become so discouraging and so disheartening. And it it can throw them out of level spiritually in their faith walk with Jesus. And so what do we do as we look around and see this? And and the first thing that we do, I love what what, uh, Paul said to Timothy. He talked about being nourished. If you instruct the brethren, verse 6. In these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. We need, we need to teach people, hey, that there, there are deceivers out there, and there are people who will pretend to be in the faith, and people who will walk away from that. They'll begin to believe lies and deception. And how do you and I navigate this? And the first thing is, is by being nourished in the words of faith and doctrine. 
In fact, I, you know, I've probably you know, turned to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I've gotten to the point where I, I, I don't know if I, if I preach a sermon that I don't reference 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Because you and I need to understand how important the Word of God is. This is the truth. The Word of God is truth. If you, if you haven't come to that realization, I pray under God that you will. Because the world is a lie. Satan is a liar. The Bible says he is the father of lies. And so if we get our, quote, truth, unquote, from talking heads on television or from musicians or from actors or from anything outside of the Word of God, we are, we are treading on dangerous ground. Because in this world, truth is relative. Truth is what I say it is. No. Truth is what the Word of God says. And so if we're going to navigate this, it's imperative that we nourish ourselves in the Word of God. You need a steady diet of God's Word. Because why? Well, it tells us in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is profitable. The Word of God will benefit you. How many of you go to work because you know you're going to get a paycheck? How many of you would really like to go to work and not know if you'd get a paycheck or knowing that you would not get a paycheck? The reason we do what we do is because it's profitable for us. We benefit from it. Do you hear that? The Word of God benefits you. It's profitable for you. And so, and it amazes me how many Christians I've seen when I was a pastor and I would leave the church and walk outside and people are going to their vehicles and they chunk their Bible up on the dash or they chunk it in the back seat and they pick it up next Sunday, if they come next Sunday, off the dash or back seat. Well, that's not somebody who's spending time in the Word of God. And so it says that the Word, of, if we're going to be nourished... He says, be nourished in doctrine, in truth and doctrine. Be nourished in faith. And the way that we grow in our faith walk is by being students of the Word of God. How many of you would like to see East Columbia explode? I mean, how, many would, would, you, how would you like to be so packed that you had to go to second and third services? Wouldn't that be awesome? Not because of the number's sake, but because God is at work and people are being saved and lives are being changed. How many of you were not in Sunday school this morning? Maybe that says the extent to which you value the Word of God. And I think about that all the time. People can come by here right now and they see all the cars and something must be going on. But what about at the 
9.30 hour or whatever time it is, Sunday school, is it loaded because people are coming to study the Word of God? And why, why, would, we, why would we not take advantage of something that is useful for us? And he says it. He says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Word of God tells us what the truth is. The Word of God reveals falsities and lies. The Word of God gives us direction on how to get our lives on the right path, and the Word of God helps us to stay on the right path. And so the Apostle Paul knew that you and I, if we're going to be nourished in faith and truth, then we must be steeped in the Word of God. I like what he says in light of that. Look at it, if you will, in verse 7. Because here's the, here's the alternative to being steeped in the Word of God. He says in verse 7, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. But he says, reject fables and old wives' tales. And the truth is, is that there are things that people say and they take it as the gospel truth. I'd, I'd like to know. I look forward to the day. Maybe I'll have an opportunity to know exactly what, what Paul was talking about in that context. We don't know that. He doesn't tell us. But listen, we can be prone to wives' tales. Remember, I remember when I was a little kid and uh, lived for a time in Trenton, Missouri, and it was a great little town. And I mean, I was eight, seven, eight years old, and I could walk downtown by myself, go to Brown's Drugstore and get a soda pop and go by the fire station and see my uncle. But I remember that time, that time, and, and walking up the sidewalks, and it would go through my mind sometimes, step on a crack and break your mother's back. Old wives tell. Um, break a mirror and get seven years of, yeah. Uh, walk under a ladder and get, what? Seven years of, you know, bad luck. Black cat costs, old wives tells. There's a lot of things about them. What about this one? Don't turn your sister upside down. You'll flip her liver. <laughs> Where'd that come from? I mean, it's just nonsense. All of that is scientifically unproven, but sometimes people live by that stuff, okay? And those in and of themselves are harmless. But there are some in the spiritual realm that uh, are not as harmless. Things like any way you get to heaven is fine as long as you get there. That, are you listening to me, is a lie from hell. That is the Antichrist deceiving people. The Word of God makes it clear there's one name given among men by which you must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way to the Father except by me. Listen, I could share 
a multitude of those things. These modern day wives tales, if you will, that people use. And a lot of time it's around the funeral home. People say the most bizarre things. Well, if your child died, God needed another flower in his flower bed. Or God needed another angel in heaven. Well, that's not true. Because we're not an inanimate object, and we're a little higher than the angels. We're separate creations. Am am I making sense to you? And listen, if I hear these things come out of people's mouths, I instantly know that they're not a student of the Word of God. Because if you're a student of the Word of God, your doctrine is going to be sound. You're going to recognize when something is off base. In fact, I challenge you, for this week coming up, every one of you, read Romans, the first chapter, every day this week. It will absolutely transform how you think about the world in which you live. We need the Word of God because that is the truth, not what the Word says. And so he's saying to you and me, listen, as this world changes, and as it does, we're going to see people gravitate away from the church. Don't be surprised. But he's saying, listen up. Be nourished in the Word of God. Let the Word of God seek into your heart and life. It will reveal what is true and what is a lie. It will give you direction in life. But then he also made the observation there. He says, look at at, uh, verse 7, the latter part of that. Exercise godliness. He says, and exercise yourself toward godliness. You know, one time heard somebody say, um, most Christians have forgotten more than they've ever practiced. Oh, me. I hope that's not true. But I think it is. I'll never forget somebody telling me one time uh, when they were divorcing their spouse, and they said, I know what God would have me to do. Are you ready for this? But I'm not going to do it. And I fear that that is truer among the body of Christ than not. That we, at every turn of our life, we encounter things and we know what God would have us to do. But we make a conscious decision not to do it. And what Paul was saying, he said, listen, don't, don't be... <laughs> Don't let anybody blow you off course because they're, because they're leaving the faith because they weren't of us in the first place or they wouldn't do that. And make sure that you're nourished in the truth of the Word of God. And don't just be head knowledge. And I've known people that, there's a, I've, I've known people that, that rarely go to church and have ever been, but they seem to know more Scripture than I do. I mean, they can rattle that stuff off. But their life gives no indication of that. All it is is up here. And so he's saying, exercise godliness. You and I need to be the men and women and young people that God has called us to be. He says to you and me, he says, be holy for I am holy. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be faithful to him. 
In fact, he talks about it in a very serious sense. Look there at verse 8. For bodily exercise profits a little. Guys like me like to hear that. I've been really hit and miss in exercise in my lifetime. He says it profits you, but it's temporary, this side of glory. Okay? He says bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness profits for all things, every aspect of your life, having promise of this life. Huh, it'll help you in this life that now is and of that meaning that life which is to come. And so walking in Christ, surrendering our way and will to him, learning what it means to walk by faith, it benefits us here. It helps us navigate life. Listen, you will save yourself an enormous amount of heartache if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I heard one guy say recently, you know, if I were to live my entire entire life and die and get to the other side and find out that there was nothing to Christ or Christian faith, he said, I'd still be a Christian because of the impact it's had on my life here. Well, he is real. And we will see him again. And being a child of faith and exercising godliness will enrich your life beyond your wildest dreams. And so he says, don't be surprised. He said, be nourished in the faith. He says, exercise godliness. And then finally, he says, trust the living God. Let me just kind of go down to the latter part or the next part of that passage He said, this is a faithful saying in verse 9, worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. Listen, that's faith. It's trusting in the living God. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is in in Psalm 37 and verse 3. And the opening part of that verse says, trust in the Lord and do good. And I love it because years ago, I did a word study of those phrases. And the word trust means to roll your confidence over in God. (laughs) To roll your confidence over in God. To lay over in God. It's saying, okay, God, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm not going to try to do it in my own strength. I don't know about you, but when I've done that, I make a mess of it. And so, God, I'm going to roll myself over and trust you and put my confidence in you and live my life for you to your glory, to your glory and my good. And when it comes down to it, dear people, we have to ask ourselves the question. Does our life give evidence of trusting God? Well, does it? Does our life give evidence of having confidence in God? The decisions how we respond in a time of crisis, how we carry ourselves when we're around our peers, 
how we respond to our spouse when things get a little edgy? Does godliness permeate your life? Are you nourished in the Word of God? Or is going to Scripture an afterthought for you? Well, Lord, I can't think of anything else to do. Tell me what to do. I mean, that's ludicrous maybe to you, but truth is there's people who do that. Just give me a word, Lord. Well, if you want a word... Have a diet in the Word, and God will give it to you. Is it possible that you're one of those folks that's been pushed off spiritual balance because of the actions of another person? Or maybe you're one of those who has walked away. Or you're contemplating walking away. Because God just isn't everything that people make him out to be in your eyes. You know, there's a lot of people who want to believe that if I trust Jesus as my Savior... My bank account will get full, and my wife will continue to do everything that is well-pleasing to me, and I'll never have any more problems the rest of my life. You know what? The reality is, is that that's called growing up in the faith. Learning what it means to live a life surrendered to Jesus. Learning what it means to die to yourself. Learning what it means to be a partner in marriage. Learning what it means. And sometimes that can be real, real hard. And I think that's what that guy meant when he said to me that day, I gave Jesus a chance. And what he thought, that was like rubbing a a vessel, whatever that thing's called, I'm going to rub this and all my problems are going to go away. And I've learned over the years that what God does is grow us up and through our problems. It's because of my problems, many that I did myself, and through them that God has grown me the most as I've learned to die to them and live unto him. Am I making sense? I can go home. I will here in a minute anyway. But what about you? Are you one of those discouraged and just not sure kind of folk? You know what? Jesus wants to save your soul. He wants you to learn what it means to be passionately in love with him. He wants you to know that he loves you and he will forgive your sins and he will bring healing in your life as you learn to surrender to him each and every day. He is a marvelous God and he wants to be your savior. Do you need to trust him as savior today? Are you a student of the word? 
Does godliness truly exemplify who you are? He's calling you to himself. I love that word, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's just like the prodigal son. Remember when he was, he was away from the father and he came to his senses and he said, listen, the pigs are eating better than me. And it says in there, and they wouldn't even give him what the pigs were eating. He said, I'm going to the house. And he, he started his trek to the house and he got within distance where his father, who is representative of holy God, sees him and his father runs to him. And if you will take a step in the direction of holy God, he will take a step in your direction. If you begin to drink in his word, he will fill your cup. That's who God is. We're going to have an invitation. And I invite you to respond to that invitation, not to Bill, I don't mount to hill of beans. Oh, wretched man that I am. But there is a holy God who loves you and who wants you to know him intimately, personally, deeply. And today, maybe what you need to do is believe on Jesus and be saved. I invite you to come. Brother Phil's going to be here. I'll be glad to talk to you. Are you a student of the word? Are you exemplifying Christ in your life? If not, I invite you. Listen, there comes a time where we need to make a decision. God, I've not been getting this right. And Lord, I want to get it right. I want to get it right because I want to be a student of your word that it would impact me. God, I want to be the Christian that you've called me to be. I want to be that example. Is God speaking to you? Do you need to make that decision today? Will you stand? I invite you to come. Father, we thank you for your holy word. I pray thee, O oh God, that we would want you. And folks, if you're fear, feeling a stirring in your spirit, you don't know what to do, but you know that something's going on. That's God the Holy Spirit saying come he's at work what is it God would have you to do I pray thee oh God that we would choose to be obedient to you today in the name of Jesus I pray amen